is Peretz P. Eichler, a.k.a. The Reb. Thank you very much for joining me today here on J-Root. Station that listens to you around the corner, around the nation, around the globe. We begin the three weeks. Yesterday, we we started with Tainus, the Tainus. Shabbos Abatamuz, as, as I'm sure you knew, it was pushed off from Shabbos because we do not have that uh, Tainus on Shabbos. We hope that portends for good things. But these three weeks are a time for us to think, to contemplate, to move ahead, to move forward in, uh, in who we can be as a Jewish people, and that means who we are as individuals, because after all, the cloud is made up of the individual. Somebody once said they loved, uh, they loved Am Yisrael, but uh, it's individuals they're having problems with. And the person told them, it's great to love Kral Yisrael, but you have to remember, you have to love Reb Yisrael, every individual. Who was it? The the um, the Peanuts cartoon, Charles Schultz, or maybe it was Pogo, one of those guys, said, um, "I love mankind. It's people I can't stand." Right? That's that's not what we're about. The sinus kingdom that destroyed the second base of Migdash is something we all have to fix up. And everybody knows in their own heart what it is and who it is that we're we're creating those barriers for. It's not an easy thing to do, and if it were easy, we, I guess we wouldn't still be in Gullus, right? But we're still here. We're still fighting away, we're still plugging away, but yet there's still such, such, such barriers that exist between us. So we're going to talk about that and see what we can do to maybe make ourselves a little bit better. And of course, when I talk to you, I'm talking to myself. I would never hopefully tell you anything that I either have not undertaken to do myself or would speak about this past week. Uh, just before Shabbos, I was in Deal interviewing Rabbi Gabriel Sassoon. It was really a Shkaka practice to somebody I knew, and uh, we, were, we were introduced. And I had seen the article in Ami magazine, and I understand that Sherwood had done an interview. Uh, I'm not going to play it today. We may play it uh, sometime, maybe this week or, or next week. I think it's important for everybody to hear. You, you can actually see it. You, see, you can see the video interview if you go to the Lakewood Scoop. Dot com. It's on there, and um, I'm, I'm going to see if we're going to be playing it on here. But you you should be aware of what he what he spoke about. And let me just tell you why it's important. Uh, for obvious reasons, for obvious reasons, as any anybody who's heard any of the comments and been to any of the drushes, any of the um, the lectures that he's been giving and is now giving more publicly, the person understands the pain or wants to understand the pain that the family went through and the suffering. But he told me that he he wanted people to know more than just talking about his history, where he came from and, you know, um how he's how he's dealing with the with the tragedy. He wanted people to walk away with something beyond that. much much more beyond that. And and what that was, and I want to share that with you, was first of all that the the death of his seven children, Hashem Yurakim, should not go to waste. That it should not be, not be something that that happened without people learning valuable life lessons from it about who they were, what they meant, what and what family and what children and what actus uh, unity amongst Kal Yisrael means. And among those things was where he said that a person has to realize. Well, I'll, I'll tell you like this. One of the questions I asked him. Was does he believe that his amuna batachin, his faith and trust in Hashem, is different now than it was before? Then, and if 
if it, if it is, how is it manifest? And he told me he feels that it's the same, but it's different in terms of the way he approaches it, because obviously now he's living with the with the embodiment of what all his training in the Munabatakan taught him about realizing that everything that Hashem does is for a purpose and is really for our own good. And as I looked at him and I could see the I could see the veil of tears behind his eyes. I mean how many tears he's shed already who 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 can count them. And in addition to that, you could see the nobility and the strength and the Munabatakan very apparent on his face as as he spoke, but you could also see the pain and the suffering behind it. And it's it's something which is very moving. And to see that and to hear that is transforming. He talked about the idea of octus of unity. He talked about the idea of people getting over their petty differences. He talked about the idea of de emphasizing the material and the gashmias, how many people he's seen that are just so wrapped up in it and don't realize that they're their family, their friends, their children, their very own lives are more precious than any seeking, running after money. I mean, look, it's one thing if a person, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry to say this, I mean, people who feel that the next guy's got a lot more money than them, they say, oh, yeah, well, if I had it, I wouldn't be that way yet. Or, uh, well, it's easy for you to say because you have it. No, the truth is that, look, having having financial um Stability, if you want to call it. I don't even want to call it stability. If, you, if you've got guilt in your pocket, so you feel a little bit different. But what about the guy that doesn't have guilt in their pocket and feels the same way? What about a person who has tons and tons of money and just is miserable? Well, you say, no, that won't be me. I mean, if I had it, I'd be happy. But why is it, as Rabbi Desko says, that so many people that are so wealthy are so miserable? But you say, no, I know a guy, he's fabulously wealthy and he's, he's very happy. That's the rare breed. It, it seems to be that, and this is something I've been grappling with, I, I saw something in Masil Sharm. I mean, it's one of the main nakudas that he makes there, which is, which is that you can't have Gashmias and Rukhnias existing at the same time and think that you're just going to be, you know, a Kodesh. And how do you understand that? I mean, I know I'm going off on a different tack here, but I just wanted to tell you that what I saw from Rabbi Sassoon was he wants people to actively appreciate who they are and what they are, appreciate their family, spend more time with your families and your friends and your children, spend more time with yourself, spend more time investing in you than you do in your in your gashmas, and, and you'll see wonderful, wonderful things. Investing in you, your most valuable commodity, investing in you. But this idea, this notion of can... Can a guy be driving around, let's say, in a Rolls-Royce convertible while listening to a Rabbi Big the Miller tape really be achieving the height of Rukhnius? Is that possible? Some people might say, yeah, sure, why not? Look, he is listening to a, a Torah tape. But what is the Vasil Sisharim telling us then? He says that the two can exist simultaneously. Help me out with that. 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Can the two exist simultaneously? I mean, why is the Masilti Sharm telling us that you can have the the spitz of materialism coexisting with the epitome of Kedusha, that the two do not go hand in glove? You know, it just doesn't seem to seem, seem to work. Obviously, there can people there a person can have wealth and also be a wonderful, righteous person as well. I mean, we think I don't know 
how often it happens, but, you know, we have seen it. We do see it with certain people. But the Nisilta Sharm is telling us something different. What, what do you understand from that? How do you understand that? So give me a call at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. One of the things that we always talk about in terms of our own personal growth is to be willing to do the right thing, even if it's not popular. One of the subjects that uh, we were talking about during the, the URA retreat, which was just fabulous, I'd like to talk to you about that at some time as well, just the growth that everybody went through. We talked about the idea of personal growth. How do you do it? Is it really important? Well, that's what we're all about right here is self-improvement and personal growth. And as I've told you many times before, whatever training I have, I mean, I do have two degrees, academic degrees, but more than that, it's life experience and everything that I learned from great Rabbanim and Gadoli Torah, who didn't have degrees in psychology, by the way. And um, whatever I bring to bear is something which is hopefully going to help each of us, yourself and myself included, to be able to grow to the next level, to the next step, to reach our potential, be the very best that we can be. And while I say that this is you know, what I, I really want to accomplish with us to help us achieve our goals, one of the things I say, and I mean it, is that I don't claim to know everything, but you can talk to me about anything. And that means anything that's bothering you that you feel is holding you back, we can walk it through. And uh, I don't just base things on my humble opinion. I hope that they're, I, I know for that, they're well-rooted in, in sources, particularly Torah sources. Lahavdil, uh, there are secular sources that, that I do use, but they're very finely def- defined and distilled through the lens of Torah, because there's a lot of junk out there in secular psychology. I mean, I would say probably the vast majority of it is. And uh, the truth is that the great volumes of work, let's say like the Silti Sharm, within there you could gain much more into the valuable nature of who we are and what we have to do just by going through Masilti Sharm. If we all learn Masilti Sharm on a regular basis, probably most of us would not need to, to go to psychologists or even or even coaches. So maybe our job is to uh, bring brings for him like this Masilti Sharm to life and and uh and Rabbi Victor Miller was probably the, the greatest mentor of uh, of our one of the greatest mentors of our generation in terms of bringing people to reach their potential, as was Rabbi Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg Zitzal, and as was uh, Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld Zitzal. If you listen to anything that or read anything that they wrote or recorded, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I I, I certainly don't claim to be on their level of erudition entirely, though Rabbi Scheinberg said anybody could be a Rabbi Scheinberg. All you got to do is want it and stay for it. Like the Vilna Gon said, in Vilna Goin, if you want it, you'll be a Goin. Which, by the way, by the way, let me just take another little sidebar. One of the questions that came up in Dueling Rabbis and Ura was, and I'd like you to address this question, can a person, should a person, shoot for the ideal of that which they can, or she, or he can be, or be practical and realize that you're not going to reach that goal. I was very surprised that somebody actually took that stand. I hope they were just playing devil's advocate. The person was saying how there's some form that are printed about Gedolim, and some people just get depressed by it, saying, oh, I can never reach that level. The other person said, no, at least you know levels that can be reached. You don't have to be there, but if you shoot for the stars, maybe you'll reach the moon. So what do you think? Should we be purely practicalist, pragmatic, you know, pragmatic, People, you know, this is what I know, my limitation, this is what I can do, or should we shoot for the stars? Should we be more idealistic? What do you think? 
Give me a call at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. One thing I know is that we have to be willing to do the right thing, even if it's not popular. Of all people, Richard Nixon once said, more than doing things right, you have to do the right thing. Now, I don't know if he practiced that, but there is a lot to that. Be willing to do the right thing, even if it's not popular. And in uh, the Parsha of the week, the Heidegger Parsha, Pinchas, we see this loud and clear. Where do you see it in this week's Parsha to be willing to do the right thing, even if it's not popular? Well, right off the bat, the Merishim Moshe Lemur, and the Rabbi Shalom spoke to Moshe, saying, Pinchas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, Hakoyin has turned away my anger from the Bnei Yisrael, and that he was zealous for my sake among them. We're going to talk about zealousness and a bit also about what that means. Among them, Besocham, something which we talked about before, so that I did not consume the Bnei Yisrael in my jealousy. So the Alshech makes note of the word Besocham, amongst them, among them. Now, let's look at this for a moment, okay? But I want you to chime in on this. When I, when I finish saying it over, please join me at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or listen line. Pentecost is a zealous action, as you can imagine, were not very popular. And as Rabbi Zelig Fliskin points out, there were those who were ready to kill him for his zealousness. But nevertheless, Pinchas was ready to sacrifice everything to do the will of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. He took action, even though many people, to put it mildly, disapproved of what he did. That's according to the altar. He knew it was the right thing to do. Now, we have to take this with, with, a, with, a, with a bit of caution, because we're going to talk about what it means to be zealous and to act on zealousness. We are certainly not Pinchas, and we're not on the level to do what he did, to be vigilantes, taking the law into our hands. Though he wasn't really a vigilante, he was somebody who was a, a soldier of a Kaddish Baruch But let, let's just look at what he did and understand what it means in terms of doing the right thing. Once one understands what the boundaries are of what we're allowed to do within the boundaries of doing the right thing. You know, there are many instances in life, as I'm sure you realize, in which the correct thing to do is not always the most popular. For example, okay, this is a, a very common thing, all too common, and we're trying to make it less common, in fact, non-existent, is that if a group of people are speaking lush and horror against others, so they usually don't appreciate someone telling them to stop talking neg- negatively. Have you ever been in that situation? Some people are speaking lush and horror, and you're the frummy! You're the frummy! I, I, that's lush and horror, I don't want to hear. Oh, come on, everybody knows it. What are you, so we, uh, you think uh, you know better than we do? We, we know what the luckers are, too. It's not lush and horror. This person is very, but when you say, it's lush and horror, I don't want to hear it. Well, you don't want to hear it, don't listen to it. Well, what do you do? A person whose focus is on doing the will of a Kaddish Baruch Hu will not be deterred, even if others will insult him or her, if they'll put the person down, for their behavior. And in these matters, there's always, you know, a thin line between what is proper and elevated and what's impulsive. All right. We're going to take Shmuel from uh, Brooklyn in just a moment. Chokum should always be consulted whenever questions arise. Okay, Shmuel, how are you? Thanks for joining me, the Reb, right here. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, not from Brooklyn. I'm from Israel. 
From Emirates Israel. Okay, well, what, are you calling from Emirates Israel from, or Brooklyn? Yeah, from Emirates Israel, from Upper, upper Nazareth Elite. Wow, what a privilege. How did you hear about J-Root up there? Oh, I hear about them all, in all kinds of ways. What? You have uh, okay. the apps, you have the telephone number, you have a lot of good programs. Uh, we don't have too much over here in Emirates Israel. Uh, uh, possibilities with the government uh, radio, so we have to do it by by ourselves, like through the phone or through the apps. Well, we're so happy listen a lot to that. We're happy to be of, of service to you, Shmuel. So um, very much, very much in the small hours of the night <laughs> during the day, keep my mind busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, sorry, very happy to hear your show and that. Uh, Talk about the Suicide Sharm and Salvovis. It's what's talking about the time about Tikkunamidis and Sneers and so on and so on. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, and there's a book that's called also Yem Yem from the Lubavitch Rebbe, which gives a lot of tips about uh, one of the things he says over there one of the days is that uh, to be um, away from Gashmis totally. It's only a beginning for a good avayda in Ruchnis. Five eight five eight. So, 
doing the right thing is vitally important. Doing the right thing that means even if it's not popular. So I just want to ask you, and I want to thank Shmuel for calling from Upper Nazareth in Eretz Israel, but you're a little closer if you're here in Brooklyn. And as, a, as I said before, I think it gives evidence of the fact that J-Root is around the corner, around the around the country, and around the globe. Is there the Shemis Brock? So tell your friends about it. But you might tell us about it by giving us a call at 718-683-5858, Okay. So, Gitty, how are you, and what for you today? Okay, Baruch Hashem. So you were talking about doing something that people get an, might get annoyed by, but you're trying to do the right thing. So right. what I find, um, which is very common nowadays, is that um, there's many people who, ladies, who know Talachas, who are taught Talachas of Tzniyas, but they unfortunately listen to Yetuhara and do you know, something that's not Tzniyasic, like, for example, walking around not, not covering the knees. Many times when I'm in a store or another public place, I will go over to somebody, try, you know, privately, of course, without anybody else hearing, and I will tell them, you know, it's the right to show your knees. So they, of course, most of them are quite annoyed when I tell them because, you know, nobody wants to hear that they're doing something wrong. But I try they, think to be you're from the fa- they think you're from the fashion police. <laughs> fashion is police. I was called different uh, epithets, but whatever. I'm just saying that I, I understand that, you know, everybody has different needs her, but this is the type of thing that causes others to sin as well. It's not like somebody's eating a ham sandwich, okay, so they're causing harm to themselves. Of course, when you're doing that, they cause harm to the whole world, but it doesn't cause, it does, it's not machtia sarabim, it doesn't cause others to sin. But when somebody's walking around in an atzmesic way, it causes others to sin as well. So I feel it's just as if a lady's walking in public and shooting a machine gun at people, so wouldn't you try to stop them? And would, you, would people be angry at you if you tried to stop them? Obviously not. So I think other people also, not, not just me, anybody who sees somebody doing the wrong thing, they should go over politely and tell them that according to, you know, it's, it's a issa daraisa to show your knees. And I know it sounds, it's very, very hard to do it. Believe me, when I do it, I'm, I'm very Well, I'm, let me ask you something. How, how do you do it, and how do you approach somebody? I'm sure you don't go over and somebody say, you know, you know what you're doing is, uh, is, this is the right I'm sure you don't No, I don't do it. What I do is first I try to make sure that the person is isolated in, in by themselves because somebody's in a supermarket and there's a whole bunch of people around. Right, I try you don't to want catch to them when they're like by themselves um, in a certain spot, and I corner them. And I just say, I'm sorry, I hope you're not angry. I just want to tell you that, um, according to halacha, your knees have to be covered, um, you know, and um, it's, and sometimes they elaborate a little more. If they're willing to let me talk a little more, I say, you know, it's, it's, it's against halacha to show your knees, and it's erva, and this and that. So most of the sometimes people just say thank you, and they walk away. Sometimes they just, like, give me a look, and they walk away. But I feel that, you know, it says even if, it's, the halacha is real, that if somebody's doing it, it's right, you have to tell them, even if they're not going to listen. But I feel that sometimes, even if they seem like they're not going to listen at that point, maybe in the future they'll remember what I said. And, you know, let's say they're choosing clothing, choosing a new skirt, and they'll, they'll remember that, you know, you have to cover your knee, and they'll choose the longer skirt rather than the shorter skirt. So I'm that, just trying that, to yeah, do that, that's what wonderful. I mean, you know, it makes, probably makes erosion, probably makes an impression, even if you know, they don't take immediate action. You're right. They'll, they'll have your voice lingering in their conscience. It may yeah, make a difference. Have you ever met somebody encountered who actually said thank you and I'm going to consider it? Yeah, there was one person that I told him, you know, you're, you're, you have to cover and he said, you're right. And she said when her mother was alive, she would never have walked around like this, but now, whatever. Wow. And she was, and I was so, I could not believe it, I, I was so impressed that she was admitting that she did something wrong and she asked to improve it. Most other people, 
They looked at me like I'm off the wall. I said, one person said, I don't even know you. <laughs> like, what does that have to do with it? Like I said, this is what does that have to do with anything? A lot of showing needs if you don't know me. What does that have to do with it? Well, Whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a very big game to her nowadays. And but if more yeah. people would go to people and tell them that it's wrong, then maybe it'll, it'll stop. It's getting worse and worse because nobody says anything. So it's a problem. So you didn't That's stand highly by. So we're impressed by what you did, and we'd like to send you... I'm um, coming out, there's the Shem now, with um, my audio version of All for the Boss, Young Leaders Edition. We hope to have it out um, right after Tisha B'Av, there's the Shem. But I'm going to send you a, uh, a pre-release copy. If you'll just send me your address and contact number at eichlermedia at gmail.com, or just leave a message on my listen line, 848-221-4605, 848-221-4605 with your name, an address, uh, or email me at eichlermedia at gmail.com. I'd like to send you out a, um, an, an all for the boss Young Readers Edition uh, audio version, which I think you and, and if, you, if you have any kids or, you know, yes, yes, people they are, they uh, enjoy that will enjoy it. And, you know, that's courtesy of us here at uh, J-Root and, uh, and the Rib. All right? Thank you very much, and shout out with your show and with everything. Amen. Gamatim. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Parents B. And there we have uh, a woman of valor who stands up for what's right. That takes guts. You know what guts is? You know what courage is? Remember I told you that story once uh, that my father, Sean, used to tell us when we were kids to help us do the right thing. I'll try and give you the shortened version of it. In essence, there were three naval commanders that were trying to see who amongst their soldiers were the bravest on the fleet. So the French admiral says, ah, mine was the bravest. And he says, Pierre, how high is it from the um, Ops Pierre, the tower on the battleship that we are uh, on now? He says, oh, mon capitaine, it is about um, 500 meters. He said, uh, well, it's the winter here, and we are close to the Arctic Circle. The water temperature is probably quite cold. Said, yes, yes, yeah, yes. May we? It is it's absolutely cold, freezing. He said, uh, and what do you think w- would happen if uh, someone to jump off? He said, Oh, I don't think that they would make it, mon capitaine. Well, for the sake of the French Navy, I want you to go and jump off. And if you make it, wonderful. If not, vive la France. So Pierre goes up and he jumps off. Vive la France! And France is still here, and Pierre no longer is. And um, that animal said, Ah, that is what I call guts. Courage! Now the British admiral's not going to be outdone, so he says, uh, Higgins, front and center, yes, yes, sir. How high is it from the, uh, the, the Queen Mary? Well, it's, it's about, um, oh, a thousand meters, so about twice as high as, uh, the friendship, yes, sir. Well, I'd like you to climb up there and jump off into the icy ocean for the sake of the Queen and, uh, Great Britain. Aye, aye, Captain. Jumps up, jumps off, and he says, long live the Queen. Well, the Queen was still around, but old Higgins no longer was. And the British captain says, now that is what I call courage, guts. Well, now the American admiral is not to be outdone. So he comes across a uh, an ensign, Benji Bernstein, out of Flatbush. He says, uh, Ensign Bernstein, how high is it from our tower? He says, it's about uh, 1,200 uh, meters, sir, about 200 meters in either the French or the, the British one, sir. Well, Benji, what do you think would happen if somebody were to go up and jump off in the Mediterranean? What do you think the odds of surviving would be? Well, not too good, Admiral. I don't think it would really uh, be very purposeful. I think the guy would probably die. Uh, you know, that would be my humble opinion. 
Well, Anson, I just want to tell you, as your assignment today, I want you to go up there and demonstrate the bravery of our soldiers, of our naval officers. So for the sake of the American Navy, I want you to go up there and jump off, and hopefully you'll make it, Ensign. But you may not, and we'll, uh, we'll certainly get you a medal. Well, uh, I'm, I'm afraid, uh, Admiral, that I'm just not going to do that. You what? You're going to disobey my order? Well, Admiral, it's not a time of war, and there is uh, no reason to do that other than just the Admiral's own arrogance. There is not uh, anything that I'm aware of that would mandate me to do that, merely that you're ordering me to do that. Yes, that's right, I'm ordering you to do it. Now, you're telling me you're not going to do it? Uh, I'm sorry, Admiral, but uh, no, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it. You are dismissed, Ensign. He turns to the French and the British Admiral and says, Now that's what I call guts. That's what I call courage. Because the Admiral knew all along that nobody's going to do something that, uh, that makes no sense to jeopardize their own life. But nonetheless, and the Ensign didn't know that. He just knew that this is not the right thing to do. And he just knew that you have to have the courage to do the right thing, even when it's not popular. As the woman who called in said, she knew that she was going to be insulted and chastised and admonished and maybe not even listened to. But she took that risk, and somebody did listen to her because she knew it was the right thing to do. So even when it's not popular, we have to do the right thing. All right. Speaking of doing the right thing, this is Perez V right here on Grow for Greatness, doing the right thing, we hope, all the time. And uh, uh, as I said, I don't claim to know everything, but you can talk to me about anything. Licensed by the State of Awareness to Live Life, bears the Shem to its fullest. Hi, Dougie. How are you? Hello. Hi. How are you? Welcome to the broadcast. Good. Good. How are you? Thank you for all your broadcasting. Um... Just a comment regarding the, the discussion here, uh, telling people to do the right thing when it's, uh, when it's hard to say. I right. mean, that woman just told that she's going around and telling people that she feels that they don't listen to her. So yeah. I can just tell her she's doing the right thing, and I know for a fact the best way uh, to do such a thing, when you go to someone, you approach someone, and you tell him that he's doing something wrong, the best thing is to just walk away before you hear the, the comment back from the other person, because then the other person has the chance to think about it. If you're waiting for a response, then they get, like, offended, and they try to, to answer something back. But if you just say what you have to say, of course, in a polite way, but you just say it, and then you walk away and you give the time for the other person to think about it, then eventually it goes into that person, and he or she gets the message and hopefully changes. So... She shouldn't feel uh, offended that, that, uh, she, that people don't listen to her or so, because this is the right way to do it. You just say what you have to say. You know that you do the right thing, and you give the time for the other person to take it in their mind and accept the change. Thank you. That, that's a beautiful thought. Have you ever been in that position where you saw yeah, somebody I'm actually uh, uh, like a guy in a shul, and a lot of times I have uh, people that, you know, either talk by, by during governing or their cell phones, uh, etc. So I have learned this from one of my rabbis. He, he will do it. He was telling me it all the time. When you have to say something to someone, tell him and right away, go away. Give the time for the other person to, to take it into their mind. If you're standing by, let's say I'm going to someone talking, you know, you're talking about dominance, it's not allowed. 
and so on. And I'm standing there waiting. He should be quiet. He will never be quiet because he, I'm not his boss. I can't tell him what to do. I just have to do, remind him that he's doing something wrong, and then he's going to have the time to think about it and then to, to make the change. Well, that's phenomenal. You know, n- no change is easy, but the fact that somebody at least realizes that there is change right. that needs to be made. And Nobody to likes to hear uh, bad things about themselves, but uh, there's, uh, there's the Kabbalah Samus and Misha Omri, and if you, have the, you give the person the time and the moment to think about it when he's alone to himself, then at the right moment, then it uh, goes into his heart and to his mind. Yeah, I know. Some people feel, though, though you know, they, somebody said they want to give him a piece of the mind, and the guy would say, well, could you spare it? Yeah. <laughs> Now, who are you to tell me what to do? But if you do it in a nice way, and they see that it's coming from a place of love and not anger, um, exactly, you're 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 entirely right. Ben, I'd like you to, uh, Dovey, I'd like you to leave your uh, name and contact information so we can send you uh, something out as a recognition across the tub for joining us on J Root. Either leave it on my listen line at eight four eight two two one four six zero five, or on my uh, listen email, which is. This is what you say. The number again. Eight four eight, yeah, two two one, four six zero five. Just leave your name and address where we can send you something, but leave it clearly and slowly so we'll be able to pick it up and then send something out to you. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. The cover guttle. Thanks for joining us. All right. This is Barry, A.K.A. the Reb, right here on J Root Station that listens to you. I don't claim to know everything. You can't talk to me about anything. Licensed by the State of Awareness. Pays the Shem to live life. To its fullest. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me, the Red. Yeah, hi. How are you? Yes, how are you? Oh, hi. I'd like to ask a question. What about judging others favorably when um, you tell somebody something wrong? So often the answer would be, oh, like, you should judge them favorably. You never know where they're coming from and where they're going to, and you never know what level they're on. So I always feel stifled when it comes to, to telling people, like, Maybe a little muscle or a little something. That's an interesting question. You know, we had this just that I don't mean to be scoffing, but we had that, that horse race uh, a month or so ago, and people said, well, you don't know what, person, what level the person's on in terms of their own Shemir Shabbos. We have to judge our own Shemir Shabbos. So I said, may, you mean maybe you have to don the half sus, you know, because it was a horse. But maybe we all have to scrutinize ourselves and see, what are, what are we doing about how our own behavior is before we scrutinize others? But, yeah, there is a thing about giving somebody the benefit of, of the doubt. Like, you see a person walking into a McDonald's and they're wearing a yarmulke, or you see that it's a from lady, you should assume that they're you know, going in to use the washroom or maybe just getting a Coke or a glass of water. But there are times where you just don't know. And even if you do, I don't think it's a contradiction, though. Even if you give somebody the benefit of the doubt, to uh, maybe say something to the person. Like, can you think of it? Have you ever been in a situation like that where you were going to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, you weren't sure whether to say something or not? Can you think um, of an I example? I can't think off the bat, but um, it is often like in a discussion forum, let's say you're discussing among friends, and they'll be like saying, oh, like, you shouldn't um, tell anybody anything because you never know. I don't know. Let's say people um, should, said, I don't know, you want to tell someone that they should, Numer said. And they would be like, oh, you have to, like, maybe they're, they're late, maybe they're whatever, or maybe they're, they're in a rush somewhere, or maybe they can't. So, so where's the, the line to draw? Like, 
like to, to when to tell somebody something and so that they shouldn't take it personally. I feel people take it so personally. Of course. Think, oh, especially in the land of freedom and right. the land of you can't tell me what to do and everything gets taken to court or whatever. It's very uncomfortable to to start telling people what to, what what they did wrong. Like you almost feel like you're better not saying off anything. Let me say, I, I I think you're right. And I think the first thing is that people have to know where it's coming from. That it's coming from a place of respect that is coming from a place of uh, of Ava, Ava which is what we're all working on now, especially this time of year, right? To right, but I feel like Kinnam as much as we're working towards it, we're forgetting what our goal is. Right. We like have our to goal, goal is goal to is. become Oivnei Hashem, and in that goal, there are, there, there are people that you could ask for guidelines, but instead it's like, back off, you know? Yeah, that's right, back off. So I can tell, let me tell you two instances, and then tell me what you think. And callers, okay. you can uh, you know join in on this at seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Two instances that I had in two interesting situations. One, I was at a chasna, and um, I saw that there was a fellow there who uh, apparently was a family member, but he was one of those people you could tell was outside the loop by the way he was way he was dressed, the kind of yarmulke that he was almost wearing. Right, and, I uh, saying outside the loop. And we got into a conversation. He said, oh, yes, this is uh, my family. I respect them. I really like them. I really enjoy what they do. Of course, uh, not for me. You know, I left this a long time ago. So I guess he felt it was important for him to tell me that it was important for him to, you know, to have made that step. So I looked at him and I said, oh, I said, you mean you came from this type of background? Which was a you know a firm observant background, and the people there were labadic and lively, and uh, obviously a lot of people who I knew there were really yeshiva like men and women who were dressed neatly and said, yeah, he had a lot of respect for it. You know, he left it a long time ago, and he told me the type of work that he was in, which is not the type of thing that one would exactly call praiseworthy, even if you did give him the benefit of the doubt. There wasn't much room for for doubt in terms of the type of work that he was doing, which. Uh, was kind of exploitive and would be questionable in, 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 I guess, in religious circles and I guess even in some non-religious circles. But, you know, according to the law, it was legal what he was doing. I don't want to get into it. But whatever it was, the guy was telling me that this is what he did for a living and, you know, he hoped that he uh, it could still be part of his family and he didn't understand why, you know, some people didn't really respect what he did. And I said, well, let me ask you something. Um, after 120 years, I said, and the person goes upstairs what do you think is going to have more of an impact with this, what the fam- what your family is doing? Or I didn't get to finish the sentence. He said, I don't want to hear about it. I'm happy the way I am, and I don't want to know about it, and I made the choice, and, you know, I know who I am. And he just walked away. Wow. So, I mean, that's another question, which we, we, right. we can get to at another time. So I have, is, I have a thought on that. that, that what do you, what do you that tell somebody when somebody I agree tells with you, you family, oh, that... Family when you tell somebody tells you, I'm happy you. the You're way I am. You don't have anyone sticking up to you. Go there alone. So you don't have anyone sticking up to any of your pride that you have in this world. You don't have anyone after 120. It's, it's yeah, you okay. alone, Zin Vichesman. All right. Listen, I want you to leave your address, if you would, and name on our listen line, 848 or at Eichler Media, E-I-C-H-L-E-R Media, at gmail.com. So we can send you out uh, a token of our gratitude for being a JRU listener, okay? Can you um, eight, say the number eight four eight two two one four six zero five eight four eight two two one four six zero five. I got it. Thank you. All right. Thanks for. All right. I just wanted to mention, and the other, the other.
the other experience that I had was recently, and this was at a, a Shabbaton by a wonderful, wonderful organization. I don't, I don't want to mention because I don't want to put anybody in the spot who might be listening and might know what it was, but in short, there was a fellow who was sitting next to me who was talking about how he loved the experience, how it's made such an impact on his life. And then he looked at me and said, I, uh, you know, I, I drove here on Shabbos, but I just don't want to be part of it. So I could have just kept quiet and said, oh, you know, that's okay. Or I could have just said, no, that's okay, which would have been sanctioning, which definitely would have been wrong, right? But I saw that the fellow was opening up. So I took the opportunity to say the following. Look, I can't tell you that driving to Shul and Shabbos is right. Certainly your intentions and your desire to be able to to do what you're doing in terms of being here is noble and beautiful. But I think at some point a person has to ask themselves, is that the right thing? Is that what a Kaddish Baruch wants from them? I uh, mean, I'm not chastising you, and I understand where you're coming from. But I can only tell you, person has to understand what the Kedusha, what the sanctity of Shabbos is, that whatever they're going to achieve by coming, by driving, might not be worth what it was not to step in the car. And then I told him about the experience that I had with a family whose child had become Shomer Shabbos, and the, the parents were not. And the mother was confiding me one day how proud she was of her child. And then I just paused and said, and this is a family I knew for a while, I said, imagine how your child, your daughter would feel, how proud she would be of you if you stopped driving on Shabbos. Imagine how close you would be. Imagine the, the love that would be generated between you. And she paused. I could almost hear, hear the tears in her eyes on the phone. And a month or so later, she told me, you know, I want to tell you, I stopped driving on Shabbos, and you don't know what a difference it's made. But they understood that it was coming from a place of respect and esteem and affection. Maybe if I would have been more along those lines with the fellow at the wedding, maybe he would have taken a different tact. So it does depend on where you're coming from to be able to give something over, to be able to express somebody to somebody else what the right thing to do is. It has to come from a place where they understand that you care about them and that you're not just, you know, as we said, like the fashion police or the mitzvah police, right? I remember once, once a long, long time ago, being in a shul where there was somebody who wasn't Shomer Shabbos at that moment in life. And there was an elderly couple um, downstairs at the Sin, the Simcoe Hall. And this young boy, uh, when they had payphones, went to the payphone, made a call, and the couple looked at him. And I remember looking, I, I was there at the time, and the, and the, the man who was elderly. We're going to take that. We're going to take that listener in just a moment. And the elderly man started yelling at him. Don't you know it's Shabbos? Don't you know it's Shabbos? And that boy just, you know, didn't didn't even regard it. But twenty years later, when somebody told him what Shabbos meant, he understood what it meant and began keeping Shabbos. All right, parents, be Eichler. The thanks for joining me here on J Root. What's on your mind? I don't claim to know everything, but you can't talk to me about anything. Hi. Hello. Hi, me. Yes. Yeah, hi. Um, yes. Thank you so much for your show. I'm really enjoying listening. Recovered Guttles. That's what we're here for. What can I help you with? I just wanted to make a comment on the previous caller. First of all, I just wanted to applaud everyone for trying to help people be, um, you know, over Hashem and do the mitzvahs correctly. Um, 
But I just want to make a comment on the method that the previous caller was using to walk, where he learned from his Rebbe that he should walk over to someone, make his comments, you know, and then give them time to think about it and walk away. Um, that I think that this method uh, probably works more for the male population because they come from a more logical place. But I do feel that this may not be appropriate for many females who come from a more emotional place, that if you walk over to them, make a comment, and walk away, they may just feel disgusted toward you. Um, I think you need to come in a softer, um, more um, comforting kind of way, saying, you know, it's difficult for all of us. Um, I'm sure it's a big nisayon for you. And I just wanted to let you know in case you didn't know. And it's not just make your comment and walk away, because they may be very offended as if you're judging them, and that's the last thing we want to do. Um, and I also wanted to say that in terms of being Dalmakafachos, it's it's a fine line between being Dalmakafachos and, you know, um, giving musr to people you meet. Because it could either be a lady who she's wearing a shaito because she, she never covered her hair and this is the first time that she's taken the step and she's now wearing a shaito, but she hasn't come to covering her knees yet. Or it can be a Basiako girl who had different nisyonos in her life um, and, you know, went down, and now she's uncovering her knees. So you have to just be respective that where the person might be coming from, don't just judge them as that, you know, they for sure know that it's wrong and um, they don't care. It's that, you know, they, they want to, but different circumstances have now led them to where they are. But that doesn't, that doesn't make them allowed to, to, that doesn't give them a header for what they're doing. But just understand where they're coming from and come to them in a in an understanding way. Um, that's all I just wanted to say. Have you ever been in a position like that where you had the opportunity or felt the obligation to do something in a circumstance which you felt was questionable? To make a comment? Um, yes. I haven't. No, I haven't. But I have seen women who are coming from a more Balteshuva, the Balteshuva, um, where they are, they are wearing shetels. And they're not covering their knees, and I just and and I and I don't feel that it's time yet because it's so hard for them to be covering their hair. And if you start quickly telling them, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you, and then they might just drop everything, you know. So I think that everything I, it has to be said at the right time. And if you are going to say something, you have to say it um, with a lot of feeling and understanding. I don't think for women you should just walk over to them, make your comment, and walk away, because you can really cause damage like that. It could be more destructive than helpful. I think you have a very, very good point. You're saying, Yafa devar bi'ito, a word in this proper time can make an enormous effect on somebody. Right. Don't think that everyone's, you know, that Basiakov girl who went down. There are people coming from the other direction, too. So you really have to be careful how you say it. Um, You really have to practice it in the mirror and make sure it sounds right and sounds nice before you're going around telling people these things. Yep, absolutely true. I want to thank you. We'd like to send you out a token of our uh, appreciation. If you'll send me or call my listen line at 848-221-4605 with your contact information, just say it slowly and clearly so we can get you out a, uh, a J-Root prize from, uh, from our program here. 848-221-4605 or E-I-C-H-L-E-R media at gmail.com. If you're, if you're comfortable with that, then we'd like to send you out a token of our appreciation. Thanks for the Thank call. You. We appreciate it. You know, I was Thank thinking you. about this idea of you know, where you come from, as this, uh, this woman was just saying, where a person comes from. You have to know the frame
frame of reference before you can make a comment. Just a, a cute story. Somebody was uh, in, a, in an auditorium for a presentation, and they're sprawled out over like uh, two rows of seats. And uh, they're making the, you know, these noises like, ah, ah, again, very disturbing to people. So one of the, uh, the ushers comes over and says, excuse me, sir, I mean, you're making a lot of noise, and you sprawled out over two seats. I mean, just sit up and just take a seat and please be quiet. And the guy goes, ah, ah. And the usher says, Mister, I don't know what you do. Oh, where did you come from? And the guy sits up and goes, Oh, from the balcony. Oh. <laughs> so, obviously, the guy took in you know, like a little spill from the balcony. But if you would have known that, you wouldn't have asked him, you know, why he was groaning, why he sprawled out over two seats. And in a similar fashion, but obviously a very different fashion, sometimes we have to know where people are coming from. You know, maybe they've come from a different place in a different space. And their their pain and tribulations that they're going through that we just don't understand. And before we start making judgments, certainly, and before we do anything that you know might be an an effort to help them, you got to know where the person is coming from, literally and figuratively. All right, I'm coming to you right here from J Root, uh, from Lakewood, New Jersey today. As a matter of fact, uh, a wonderful Torah town, and I can tell you that wherever there are. Kolels and yeshivas and Kadorim and uh, and Moistus and places that make Torah the eager, the focus, that is the best place to be. Of course, Eretz Yisrael is the best place to be, but if you can't be there, well, if you're in your own Dalit Amis in a base medrash, or even your own kitchen where you're cooking up kosher food and keeping the laws of uh, of kashras, not speaking Russian horror, wherever you are, that is a Malcolm Kodesh, because you are special. This is Parents B. I want to thank you for joining me. We've got a little bit more time, so I want to leave you with another thought. If you still want to call in with a thought or two, please share your thoughts with us. I wouldn't say a penny for your thoughts, because your thoughts are worth much more than that. Invaluable, in fact. At 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. By the way, um, if you would feel if you come speak to your group or on one-on-one coaching, just let me know. We are available at 848-221-4605 or E-I-C-H-L-E-R-Media at gmail.com. So we talked about being a Kanoi, zealous, right, as, as we see that Pinchas was. But zealousness with negative motivations is not only not good, but it is a crime. And as Rabbi Zelig Fiskin points out, he says... Quoting the Pusik, and it shall be for him by also Lo Lazaro and his descendants after him a covenant of everlasting kahuna, because he was zealous for his God and he atoned for the B'nai Yisrael. So the Torah uses the words for his God to tell us that Pinchas's Zrizas, his zealousness, his Kanoikite, was entirely purely motivated by pure intentions. And that, according to Rabbi Yehuda Leib Kosman, he didn't have any other motivation. No motivation what's other but to do the Ratz and Hashem to do the will of a Kaddish Baruch Because without pure intentions, and only you know that, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, that can, if you don't, if you're not doing it, without those pure intentions, it's actually a crime. So you have to make sure your intentions are pure and that you've distilled it through Das Torah. And if you don't know the answer, make sure you have Das Torah to go to. Because the potentially negative side effects, as one of the ladies who called said, of being zealous and wanting to do the right thing, could have very negative side effects. So you have to do it with great care. Hi, Perez B, the Reb. 
Thanks for joining me. What's on your mind? Hi. Hello. Yes, hello. hello. How are you? Yes, we're here with Hi. you, right here. Hi, how are you? What can, Stan Hi, what can I do for you? Um, yes. I just wanted to comment. Hello, do you hear me? Yes, we do. Okay, I just wanted to comment. I just came on to the show past 10 minutes, and I'm hearing people calling in with questions how to tell Musa and how to do it and in what way to do it. How about everybody just take care of themselves and not so be so busy with other people? That people do whatever they want to do. And if you feel like you want to be a good Jew, just, just take care of yourself and do the mitzvahs right and uh, just don't, don't judge too much other people. I've had a personal experience, I mean, my wife, someone came up to her on the street, and it was, it was very nasty. Uh, it happened twice, and uh, I just think... Uh, well, let me ask you something. Do you think, I, I, I yes, would sir. presume from um, your, your very regal accent that you were from uh, Great Britain, am I correct? Correct. So let me ask you something. Do you feel... That attitude, and I'm, I'm saying this, you know, in, in I don't be offended by it. Do you think that's more a function of the reserved British demeanor, or just something that you feel personally, Jewishly? Where are you coming from? That is what I'm asking from. And what I ask you is, what I really want to know is like this: the fact that somebody offended your wife, that that has no justification. I don't know how they did it or what they did, but there's no call for that. And certainly, people working on themselves is is paramount importance. We really, you know, have the best influence by being uh, a good example. But do you feel that it's never appropriate to approach somebody, even if it's done with theme and, uh, and genuine affection, caring, and done in a proper, nice way? You would say never to to tell that there might be something I'd be doing that is appropriate and they should you know, give her a talk to that. Hello? I would like that young man from Great Britain to reach me on my listen line, 848-221-4605, 848-221-4605. I'd like to offer send him a token of our appreciation, or reach me at eichlermedia.gmail.com. But the question that I wanted to leave us with is, is it never appropriate to say something to somebody? Uh, should we only keep into our own dollaramas, our own space, and never say anything to anybody? Or is there a time where it is appropriate? I think that his point was well taken. Certainly nobody should have offended 
his spouse or what he should have done it in a way which was inappropriate. But I don't know if that means that we should not address people in the, in the proper time, in the proper way, but we do have to know what the proper time is and what the proper way is. So I'd like to hear from all of you. Again, you can reach me on my listen line, 848-221-4605, or D-I-C-H-L-E-R media at gmail.com to comment. We'll continue this, Hashem, hopefully in the coming week, hopefully in Yerushalayim, Yerukhaydish, but I'd like to hear from you, especially that gentleman who called from Great Britain. We'd like to send you a token of our appreciation, so please leave your address and contact number, 848-221-4605, it will not be a package of admonition, but a package of recognition that will come to you. Thanks very much. Really appreciate your listening. Parents B, a.k.a. The Rev, I don't claim to know everything, but you can't talk to me about anything. Green light straight ahead. Remember, in the words of Hillel, the rest is commentary. Now, go and learn. Looking forward to the rebuilding of the base of Magdash soon. Thanks for listening.